First and foremost, I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land upon which we, myself, and my guests record today's podcast. I extend respect and gratitude to the elders past, present, and emerging of those nations, and to all Aboriginal peoples listening today. Always was, always will be. Hello and welcome, I'm Timberlina and you're listening to Yas Queen, the podcast where we talk about everything without knowing anything about everything. Yas Queen podcast is delighted to have the amazingly talented etc etc join us for Queer Chat. Etc etc is a hyper-coloured Hollywood starlet reborn into the modern universe. A dazzling host and a delightful performer, etc creates memorable moments in theatre, nightclubs, television, film and online. A visible non-binary artist, their activism has created a genuine and vocal Local fan base beyond the world of drag and into the mainstream. Just as their name suggests, there's only more to come. This episode, we discuss topics of events, performance, drag, and everything in between. So let's get straight into it. Yes, Queen. Yes, everyone, welcome to Yas Queen, the podcast. Today, I'm so excited, so, 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 so excited to have et cetera, et cetera on with us. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's a nice change from sitting at home in my ISO world, you know, all alone. Now I've got you here with me. It's great. Yay. Thank God for technology, I can say that. Um, I don't know how we would be going through isolation if we still had our Nokia's 3310s and stuff, um, that's for sure. (laughs) It would be a lot lot more lonely and I think a bit more pixelated, a bit more glitchy. I remember my first phone, which was one of the tiny little terrible Nokia's and it could only store, I think, like 100 text messages on it at once and then you had to wipe them all and start again. So um, I couldn't deal with that right now. Meaningless conversations are the only way I'm getting through my days. I agree, I agree. Oh, I forgot about 100 text messages. Oh gosh, I would not be able to cope with that. Um. Dark times, very <laughs> dark times. Oh, before we get into our full-blown questions, um, could you just tell everyone your name, names, and where you're based? Yeah, definitely. My name is etc. etc. I'm a full-time drag queen. Um, outside of drag, I am Ollie. I'm a non-binary person who uses the pronouns they, them, and currently I'm based in Sydney. Um, and sometimes around, depending on where life calls me, but mostly Sydney at the moment. Yeah, amazing. Let's start off with the hard questions. I feel like I always do this to people on the podcast, just like, boom, let's get straight into it. What has your experience been like as a non-binary person working in the Sydney drag scene? Oh, straight into it. Okay, this is <laughs> this is a, actually a really good question because... In, I often get asked this question by a lot of like, um, I guess, I guess media people, like when, when I get interviewed and, you know, someone from a newspaper or um, magazine is like, oh, what's it like working as a non-binary person? Because they're very like looking at it from that angle, but it's not often like, I don't know, someone, another drag artist asks me this. And I suppose, <laughs> I suppose we can like have a, more of a chat from the experience of both working in drag in local scenes. Yeah. I think... I think just working as a drag artist, first and foremost, is hard. 
Like I'm sure you <laughs> recognize that. Um, and I think just being able to like get up every day and go, this is my career. Every, a lot of other people treat it as um, not necessarily a party, but a lot of people do it socially. A lot of people treat drag as a hobby and a lot of people treat drag as something that isn't, you know, the be all and end all. But for me, it's how I, you know, put food on my table and uh, like pay my rent, earn all my money. So I, or, I already look at it with a very like specific lens. And I think then on top of that, being a non-binary person adds this, I suppose this interesting intersection where it's not as easy for me to exist in some of those spaces professionally without having people assigning like their own prejudices or like ideas about non-binary trans people on top of that. And so it starts to conflict with my ability to make money and operate as a professional. And like, I turn up on time, I'm always like ready and fully prepared for gigs. I hate being unprofessional. It's my biggest like, I have, I wake up in a cold sweat at night thinking about being five minutes late to like a gig. It's my worst nightmare. And so it really bugs me when through no fault of my own, something to do with my identity conflicts with sometimes people's professional opinion of me. Mm. Um, and so I would say that's the biggest thing, seeing a lot of, you know, uh, cis gay white men who do drag look at me as a non-binary person doing drag and say oh because of that you must not be as you know it's not as impressive or as yeah I suppose they don't, they don't think that my ability to transform in drag is as impressive because they're like well you don't believe in gender anyway so you're not going from a boy to a girl and I'm like well technically you're not going into a to being a girl anyway it's drag like it's not it's not it's not a gender transformation you can call yourself a gender illusionist all you want but um i i just think those ideas are a bit dated you know what i mean well yeah because i call myself a drag a drag artist not uh-huh. a drag queen even though i probably use that a lot when i'm with um a lot of people when i'm in the country and stuff because it's really hard to explain i and try and educate people in rural places. So I just go with drag queen because it's much easier because they would not understand drag artists. But I, every time I introduce myself, I'm a drag artist. Like, I'm a performance artist. Like, I'm an artist. I draw my face however I want. I, yeah. And I think Exactly. I, yeah. I think you're amazing, P.S. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I mean, this is not the entire drag scene. I've had a lot of great experiences where I've seen older drag artists. I mean, people like um, Filma Box is such an amazing example of this and, and, and like Maud Boat and these queens who are, you know, people who have been in the Australian drag community uh, for, you know, an un, undisclosed amount of time, but a long time. And they have built paths and, you know, created opportunities for other people. And they look at me and they just see my work and they see what I do in drag and they respect that. And they respect me based on our professional relationship and like what we produce. And that's really super affirming because these are people who have no reason necessarily to treat me with any respect, but they do because they're kind, professional like um, 
I suppose, just good people. And it's disappointing to see people that uh, out of whatever, out of insecurity or out of, you know, bigotry, transphobia, and sometimes just the inability to accept that people are different and that's okay. Um, I don't know, they inflict their little, their little brain worms on, you know, me and me and my sisters and my siblings. So that's hard sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm not really part of the Sydney scene at all. I've got my scene up here in Newcastle. Um, and I think the only time I've really performed is at the MP. So. Mm. Which is probably the nicest place. I, and I, I can go on the, I'm happy to go on the record um, saying that like, I, I do find it hard with a lot of audiences in Sydney as well. Um, just, just the, just the attitude that you get from a lot of people is very old fashioned, you know, they expect a certain kind of drag when they walk into a venue in Sydney and that's fine. There's a lot of venues that offer that, but I don't necessarily always offer that. And a lot of people, I don't know, they get very like, Ooh, this is different. You know, it's not what we expected. And, um, I don't know. It's very hard when they're not necessarily paying me. Like, I don't know if you walk into a bar, you're not directly paying the drag queen. So you can't like ask for your money back. So instead they're just transphobic a lot of the time, <laughs> which is like, sure. I'd prefer I just gave you $5 and you left the bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. yes. All the time. You get that a lot up here um, because we obviously don't have a queer bar or a queer space to perform in. So we go into very heterosexual bars and try and turn them a little bit queer. So we get some very interesting people to deal with. Um, but we're very lucky that we have very amazing security guards up here um, that understand. Um, you're doing, you're doing a really amazing job though. I mean, like the, what I've heard coming out of Newcastle and I suppose, I suppose the biggest, um, I suppose the biggest like measure of your success up there is we get people all the time coming down to Sydney and saying, Oh, I'm from Newcastle. Um, we've got these great Queens up there. Do you know them like Timberlina and Foxy and Nova and Molly? And they, you know, they talk about all these Queens and it's like, it's nice to see people who aren't necessarily drag artists, but just, you know, they go out and see drag being proud of their local scene, you know, it's, it's a really, I suppose it's a, you know, a great measure of what you've done up there in producing healthy environments for queer people to appreciate drag in. Yeah. That's nice to hear. Thank you. No worries. Oh, no, thank you. I, I mean, I'm from Canberra originally. So like, I understand like Canberra is not a tiny place, but I mean, neither is Newcastle in a sense, you know, they're like medium sized places but it feels tiny, especially when you're queer, it like feels tiny. And I know how, how important it is to foster community. So thank you to you and everyone that's doing that in, you know, places like Newcastle, Canberra, Tasmania, everywhere. Yeah. Oh, Tassie. That's one place I really want to go to. <laughs> oh, there's some great Queens in Tassie. I love all the girls down there. They're so fantastic. Um, and doing such a great job at bringing everyone together. It must be so hard, especially when, um, when you're like separated by the mainland, like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it must be much harder to get other drag Queens to come down and to do other like things. Yeah. I'm going to put that onto my list of places I need to visit. I think. Mm. Mm. Um, how do you deal with closed-minded people 
who believe drag is only for cis gay men? Look, I, I think by now, anyone that's operating within the Sydney queer scene that knows me knows not to get up in my face with any of that nonsense. I think I've, <laughs> I think I've said enough things publicly by now that people know that I'm not like, I'm not a pushover. And I will stick by my guns, even if it is to my detriment and it means other people don't like me. I've said a lot of things that I still believe in about how Sydney operates and venues and people and blah, blah, blah in Sydney don't necessarily have the right beliefs and, and values and morals. And I stand by what I've said about those people because I've seen it again and again that the, sometimes the most closed-minded people are the people within the community. Because a lot of the time when I'm interacting with, you know, um, you know, I go into corporate gigs and I walk into an office full of straight people and they're all like yassing and whooping and afterwards I'm having drinks with them and they say, what do you look like as a boy? And I say, well, actually, I'm not a boy. I identify as non-binary, which means I don't really like identify with gender. And they go, oh, that's really interesting. I saw like something about Sam Smith saying that. And it's often like not really a conversation, but a lot of the time in queer spaces, it's like, leave the drag to the men. You know, drag was invented by men. Drag, I hear it all the time and it drives me insane. People, you know, people commented on Facebook walls when they're having arguments about this and they're like, well, you know, drag was invented in Shakespeare's time and the word drag comes from, you know, how the dresses used to drag across the straight stage and it means dressed as a girl and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, spare me your history lesson because if you know anything about queer history, you'll know the role that trans people, especially trans people of colour, have played in the development of drag as we know it in a modern sense. So it is hard sometimes because... You can't, you can't like, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> and that's not how you should use that saying, I think. But in the sense that sometimes... Well, people everybody have, use it though, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Some people have such shitty opinions that it's like, I, I try to get in again to just be like, that's not how it is. Just be kinder to other people and people go, well, thank you for bullying me. Thank you for being such a mean person to me. Thank you for like canceling me. And it's like, if telling you to not be racist, not be transphobic, not to assault people in like queer spaces, not to bully my friends, not to like be elitist and like, I don't know, exclude other people from your spaces because they're not hot gay men. If me pointing out that you're doing these things is bullying, then okay, sure. <laughs> I, like I'm happy to be a bully if that's what you class as bullying for me it's standing up for the people that I think need my help and I will do that until someone stops me oh there you go that was someone stopping me that was God saying stop <laughs> <laughs> um I can't believe people say that that's bullying that's a weird way to bully someone <laughs> I think I, th I think it's just it comes from the insecurity that a lot of a lot of queer people I mean Hurt people hurt people. That's like at the end of the day. And a lot of queer people have a lot of hurt inside of them. And I see a lot of gay men struggling a lot of the time with this kind of internalised homophobia that they lash out with. And they lash out 
with by trying to assert some kind of toxic masculinity where they go, yeah, I may be gay, but I'm a man and I'm desirable and I'm sexy and I want other hot men around me. And I have no time for like anyone that tells me to be kind or sensitive because I might be gay, but I'm not one of those sissy gay men that, you know, my family hates and don't want me to turn into. And I'm like, I don't care if you are or not, like go for it. But like, there's no need to attack uh, women and, and, and people who are femme and, you know, people who want other people to show kindness, you know, and no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. I've had fights with people and said mean things and, and things I shouldn't have and whatever. But like, I think, I think at the core of it, everyone needs to understand that like, they just need to be a little bit kinder to other people. Just a little bit. I agree. And um, that's like such an interesting thing because the um, podcast last week, I interviewed them and they left the podcast saying, everyone just needs to be kind. And mm. it's like, it's like stuck with me through like this whole last week. I was like, just be kind to people. And if you can't, I remember the saying, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all or whatever that mm-hmm. saying was that I got brought up with. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it makes so much sense um, why my parents used to say that to me all the time. And I need to live by that a lot more now, um, which is what I'm doing. Um, yeah, it's, and I mean, it's, 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 it's a constant dialogue with yourself because we're, I don't know, we're, we're, drag, we're in the drag scene. The drag scene is often quite bitchy. Like, no one can deny that drag queens love to have a good bitch. And that's fine. And I have definitely said bitchy things about other people. And any drag queen who sits there and says, oh, I have never, ever spoken negatively about another person ever is a liar. You're a liar. And I think, I think that it comes down to why people are saying that. The people that I've bitched about and said nasty things about are gen- generally people who have bullied me or my friends or said nasty things about us or excluded us from spaces. And so me and my friends, you know, just want to get around and chat with each other and be like, that person it was nasty to us and we don't like them and here's blah, 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 reasons why. And we keep that private and, you know, I just... I feel like there's a big difference between excluding huge amounts of the queer community from spaces and friends having a bitch, you know? Yeah. Agree. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, you can't point at the two things and be like, oh my gosh, etc. said this one thing about a queen's crunchy lace and because of that, everything she's ever said about me being transphobic is cancelled out. Because that's how people think. And I'm like, I was like, girl, your lace was crunchy. And like, you said transphobic things. So adding them together, I don't know. It's just kind of like people, people need to take a chill pill and just no one's perfect. We aren't. No one is perfect. What is perfect? That's exactly what is perfect. If you know the answer to that, please uh, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Um. What's the most bizarre thing you've ever seen at an event you have managed? Uh, I would I would say the most it, bizarre versus like I suppose bizarre is like what I can't believe versus what's actually weird because like I see a lot of really weird things all the time like especially working at the Imperial and, and like helping manage like an event like Honcho Disco 
which is, you know, I see weird shit there all the time that most people would be like, what the fuck is going on? And yet I'm just like, oh yeah, another day at work, you know, <laughs> someone's going to pull a lolly their ass and, you know, someone's going to like do a, a, a satanic sacrifice on stage. And I'm just like, great, just make sure we have towels to clean up the blood. And um, no one shoot like fire when they're angle grinding like their crotch into the fire detectors. That would be great. <laughs> it's like, I'm just like, this is normal. What's bizarre for me is when the Imperial Hotel, which is looked at by most people around Australia as this iconic gay venue, this queer venue that has existed for like decades. I, we get parties of 15 to 20 straight men walking in and being like, whoa, there's drag queens here. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like the giant heel at the front, rainbow flags everywhere. Like, I don't know, like I will survive blasting out of the venue. They walk in and they see me standing there like about to go on stage and they're like, holy shit, there's a crossdresser. And I'm like, yeah, what did you expect? <laughs> and it blows my mind every time. It really does. I'm always like, okay, work. <laughs> I'm sure they probably stay and well. have a fun time, right? Oh, they have a great time. And I mean... I suppose it's bizarre to me how most people have this preconception of drag being like, I don't know, unlike any other form of entertainment. Like if you walked into a bar and there was a live singer there, you would be like, oh, well, listen and enjoy a couple of these like songs. Or if there was a band or a stand-up comedian who walk in and see drag and they're like, I don't know, this feels a bit, this feels a bit wrong. I'm not sure my girlfriend would like me to be here. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to like pull you off into the toilet cubicles. I'm not that kind of drag queen. Um, but like, you know, there's so many straight men in our spaces are often like, oh, I feel like unsafe here. And I'm like, well, maybe that's how everyone else feels in the real world all the time. And you can deal with it for one second being out of your comfort zone. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I love when a straight guy comes in and they're like, oh, they're going to touch me. I'm like, no, I'm not. Unless you ask me to, no, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, as like, I, I respect your consent as much as I hope you respect mine. And in fact, a lot of the time, it's not the straight guys that are the grabby ones. It's straight women that mm. are the grabby ones. It's it like, great for your boobs. I'm just like, no. Boobs and ass and everything else it's like i once i once had i was once taking a photo with a woman after a show and she grabbed my face by the chin and moved it from side to side to the and was like beautiful makeup beautiful makeup like in like this like iron grip of like terror and i was like what are you doing? I like had to go touch up my foundation, but I like pulled her hand off my face and I was like, excuse me, ma'am. I don't appreciate being treated like a dog at the vet. Like, what are you doing? Checking my like mouth for cavities? Like get your hands off my face. It's bizarre sometimes. Like, yeah. What, what I suppose what members of the public think they're entitled to do to yeah. you physically. <laughs> It's like they don't think we're an actual human sometimes, I feel. Um, that's God I feel. forbid. God forbid. <laughs> I'm, I'm an actual human. It would be shocking. 
Yeah. Um, what's the most challenging event you've ever managed? Oh, I would, I would have to say Mardi Gras. I've done Mardi Gras twice now. Um, I was like stage manager. Uh, this is Mardi Gras at the Imperial, by the way, not the actual Mardi Gras party. But I did the my first Mardi Gras uh, last year as like a stage manager. And then this year I was like entertainment manager. So I was doing basically the whole venue. And it was just that week was... I I did 19 hours on the Saturday of Mardi Gras. I got to the Imperial at 8 a.m. and I left the Imperial Sunday morning at 5 a.m. And I I didn't have a break. I ate an egg and bacon sandwich when I got there and like had seven Red Bull (laughs) and like powered through. But it's just because when you're, the Imperial is a big venue, but on an event like Mardi Gras, it's almost like everyone, everyone is just less considerate of the fact that like anyone's working at those venues. Mm. And I get it. Everyone wants to have a party. Everyone wants to have a good time, but it's like people are usually pretty good on a normal Saturday and they'll like, I know have a drink and then they'll put their drink somewhere like normal, like on a bar or like on a table it's a Mardi Gras. People finish their drink and just throw it, <laughs> just toss it to the ground. They're just like, I want another drink. I want to get absolutely wasted. And it, it just becomes this insane, like, atmosphere. And I'm not the smartest person. I did it in drag. So I was like, I mean, you saw me at the broken heel thing. That was like, uh, that, was, that was less insane than Mardi Gras night, but it was still crazy. Like, I was in drag in the morning doing promo stuff. And then, I don't know. It just feels like I love it. And I, don't get me wrong, I love it more than anything else, but it definitely is just challenging to be, I suppose, on the go for that long um, while you're also like, people are like, oh, you're in drag, you're a drag artist, you need to be like presentable and smiling and like having a good time. And I'd be, I'd be like, have my game face on. And I'd forget I was in drag. So I was just kind of like power walking between the floors. And people were like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just going here. And they're like, you look really angry. And I forget, you know, I'm in drag. So obviously I look intense, like hurrying everywhere. Um, But yeah, I I would just say events like Mardi Gras are pretty like intense for everyone that works for them. Um, Or like really small events. Do Do you ever find sometimes that, tiny small events are so stressful yeah. like <laughs> like for five people like a little corporate event i get so stressed over them like one because i don't know what the client really actually wants even when i've been like what do you want and then you just like have to wing it and you're like did they like that or not like that's what i get really stressed about yeah and and the fact that they're so um i think it's this because there's nowhere to hide and you're like, you're like, okay, so there's five people here and I've organized it. I'm here in drag hosting it. I'm the only performer and I'm running the tech. So if anything goes wrong, <laughs> it's all on me. And you're just like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah. It, that, that is, it is tricky sometimes. I mean, for me now, virtual events are so much harder than in person 
like being in a venue mm. is like really cruisy. Um, and because we've been doing um, like the blush cross misfits one, um, it's so stressful. Like I feel like I am producing a television show. That's how stressful it is. Honestly, I, I mean, I've done a few lives and they, even a live is just like, you know, you, you've got performers in different places with different numbers and then they've all got their PayPal details that you've got to get into the thing and tag it and you're just there and you've had, you know, three drinks and you're sitting in your room and you're like hot and sweaty and you're like, I don't know, it's like the camera keeps falling down and you're like holding up the backdrop. I'm just kind of like, I'm not equipped for that. It's like, I, I it, it, it is stressful to... I think self-produced drag. It's nice to have other people do some of the work <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. That's, I mean, the best thing about doing blush and misfits, we're in a studio. So like there's other people there doing the lighting yeah. and stuff, but it's still stressful. Um, have you ever said no to an event? If so, why? Um, well, I've said no because I'm obviously unavailable. That's the reason why I've said no to events. Um, this, I, I, could, I could say some really like, I don't know. I, I think we've all said no to events that we don't agree with politically. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I think as performers, we're allowed to have those moments where we prioritise our values and our morals over a paycheck and sometimes it's hard especially when you don't have you know paychecks rolling in you're like oh god i should probably do this but there are there have been plenty of times where i've gone okay enough is enough i'm gonna say no yeah and i think for people out there that are just accepting every job and just doing it even though you hate it please think of yourself <laughs> before mm. like and think of the whole event concept and everything like that um because i and know also yeah i, I just i uh, there's a lot of talk always about performers undercutting other performers and, you know, people accepting jobs for $50 and, you know, everything like that. And I, I understand sometimes there are drag queens out there who need the $50, but I think the biggest problem is that the promoters and people running those events and underpaying performers build this kind of like, almost culture around the fact that their gig is super, super like exclusive and like super, like this is, it's the best exposure you can have for a performance. You know, this is the start kind of stuff that like kickstarts careers. Oh my God, this is like, you'll be super like popular after you do this number. Like I've had, I've had like promoters say those kind of things to me, like, like, Oh, this, there's going to be a great crowd. It's like, uh, okay, cool. Like, I, I love a great crowd, but that's, I've, I've done gigs with terrible crowds because, you know, I do it as a job, yeah. you know, and, and that's okay. I just, I think that promoters should stop bargaining with performers and just pay them properly. Yeah. It's honestly, yeah. I, um, if you, and if you can't afford them, don't try and bring their price down as well try and get the funding from somewhere else i think yeah yeah and also it's sometimes it's always really sneaky it's always just this it's always mm. like i was i'm not going to name names but once i was on the bus to do a gig in another city 
and I'd already gotten on a bus to go there and I had all my drag with me and it was only once I was on the bus and the promoter knew I was on my way that they messaged me and they said, hey, unfortunately, we can't do the fee that you want. It's only $50 for tonight. Like on my way to another city already. And like, we hadn't like sat down and confirmed a, like a fee, but I had thought based on the fact that we'd had conversations in person, they knew the other kind of gigs that I was doing. And, you know, I didn't expect to be paid $7,000 million. But when they said, oh no, it's a $50 gig, I was like, I was just kind of like, it was a bit, it was a bit kind of like, just take the money and give it to another performer. You know, I'll do your event for free. If you need, if you want me so badly that you're willing to, you know, yeah. trick me into performing for $50. And, and, and it wasn't so much, I was like, oh my gosh, they think I'm worth $50. It was more like, if you were upfront with me at the start and said, hey, this event doesn't really have a budget. We can only afford to pay you $50. If I wanted to do the event enough, I would have said this one is I will do this one for free and it yeah. will just, I just want to support your event. Cause I've done that a lot of times before and it's something that I like to do and it's not, I think that's better than, you know, having someone wait until you're, you're on a one way bus somewhere and then saying, Hey, I can pay you $50. It's like, great. I, Cause like, obviously I produce shows and everything is in writing. Everything has, everyone has a contract. It's, yeah. Like this was I mean, early on. This was like after I'd been doing drag for maybe a year and a half. But I was still like I was I'd already set my fee by then. I was earning money. I, it was my full-time job. Um and I, I think that's something promoters should also like take notice of. And I try to clue it in when I'm like hiring queens. If you've got someone who's doing drag as a hobby, like yes, they deserve their rate, whatever. But I, I do think that promoters and entertainment managers should have somewhere in their mind just a degree of flexibility and, I suppose, leniency for performance who make their entire living off drag, you know? Yeah. If I had two performers of the same skill set, the same, like, background, and one of them was a full-time drag performer and one of them did it for a hobby... I would probably consider the full-time drag performer over the hobbyist just because, and it's nothing to do with people that do drag for a hobby not being as good, but I know that person needs to pay their bills. And if they haven't got a residency or regular gig and they're doing, you know, this and that and this and that, I know from personal experience how helpful an extra 300 bucks can be to get through all week. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean that's a good way to put it. And if you are a promoter or an entertainment manager, you should probably take that on board. Cause I will always remember the day that I was like, Oh, I've had heaps of events canceled. These are dates. And you were like the first person into my inbox to be like, Hey, we've got these dates. Can you do any of these dates for us? And I was like, Oh my God, that is so lovely. And I'll always remember that about you. Um, but you were like straight into my inbox. Well, I know just like you, you like, I know just with my gig schedule, how like, I suppose people might say this to you all the time. People are always like, oh, et cetera, you're booked and blessed. You've got so many gigs. You're so booked. And I'm like, I do appear booked, but you've got to remember, like, I don't have a day job. This is my day job. Like, I'm not, I'm not going and 
earning magical money somewhere else. Um, and everything is literally set up meticulously in my life so I can survive. Mm. And it might not seem a lot that, you know, one or two gigs drops through, but that would mean that I couldn't afford, you know, my rent. So it's like, I, when I, when you were like, all oh, these gigs have dropped out, I was like, okay, great. I know that you rely on the income and I'm happy to like help wherever I can, you know? Yeah. Thank you. I love that. Um, the least we can do, the least we can do is, as you know, performers. And I think in a scene where there's so many, like, I don't know, so there's, there's a limited amount of work, a limited amount of opportunity. Everyone kind of does have to look out for each other a little bit. Oh, I agree. I a hundred percent agree with that. Oh, I love this question. What would your dream event to manage be? Oh, Okay. I've thought about this a lot and this is something that I really want to do. And I don't think it's too far away in my future, but I want to get a really, really big, like warehouse, old corporate building, maybe, maybe a hotel or a residential building. I want to have enough money and enough like resources to be able to, pay everyone properly and have a really great budget and just just get a bunch of really talented performers and set them free give them each a space and be like okay you get this room you get this room you get this room you get this budget you get these resources create a performance create an installation create something that you want to do and then the audience is just released into the space they just walk in they can go anywhere they can go into any room, they can go to any space, they can see any performer that they want. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I, I, what excites me is when performers and audience have this agency where they can say, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to see, this is what I want to say. And an event like that, obviously it would require so many resources and so much blah, blah, blah. Because I would want it to be big and I'd want it to be great, you know? Yeah. But that's so exciting to me you know, letting audiences and performers kind of like in this free form space. And it would be a nightmare to manage and it would be insane, but it would be so, I just, I suppose, so fulfilling to see all these people like being able to create their exactly what their minds wanted to tell an audience and audiences being able to see what they wanted to see, you know? Yeah. Ah, that sounds so freaking amazing. I know. I've always had it in my mind since I like started like coming up with drag. I was like, imagine if you just had like a, a big hotel and in every hotel room was a performer who did like, had like a performance space in there and did like, and performers from all different like backgrounds, like not just drag performers, but musicians and artists that work in film. I mean, I went to film school. So like I have that background of like filmmaking and like film production. So like my mind always thinks about how to incorporate that aspect of things into stuff. So, um, yeah, but I mean a real world event, probably I went to torture garden when I was in LA, which is the world's largest fetish party. And it was, it was insane. Like, it was the performances that they had, the breadth of like experience. Like it was like, 
you could you could just walk around and look great and like have champagne and like I was with I was with Amanda Lepore so I was like in her booth just like drinking champagne it was just like really like laid back or you could go into like the hardcore BDSM dungeon all night you know it was like it was just such a great party because <clears throat> I was there was not one point where I felt unsafe yeah there was not one point where I saw consent even like mildly be broached. Everyone respected everyone else. No one was like judgmental. And yet it catered from everyone who, every single need that someone wanted to be entertained that night. It was great. It was such an inclusive, amazing space. And um, yeah, I had one of the best nights I had when I was in America there. It was great. So much fun. Uh, I want to go to that. Like yeah. yeah, please, Torture Garden. It's so, so fantastic. Um, yeah, Amanda Lepore did this performance where she <laughs> she did a strip tease and then pulled a lipstick, a rhinestone lipstick, out of her vagina, applied it to her lips and walked off stage. And that was, like, the performance. She was just, like, stripping down. Everyone's like, what's going to happen next? And then she pulls this big rhinestone lipstick, like, out of her <laughs> vagina, puts it on her lips and goes, yeah, <laughs> walks off stage. So great. <laughs> like yeah. that that is like performance art just there. Like that. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and and Dita, Dita Von Teese was there. Oh and she was like one of the she was like the headliner. And apparently she got paid a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to be there. And she didn't perform. She didn't do anything but sit in her booth all night. And at the end of the party, everyone was like, oh, my God, here comes Dita. And, the, and the, um, like the promoter who ran the party was like, and everyone now, welcome to the stage, Dita Von Teese. And she walked out onto the stage wearing her little black dress and her black page boy wig, stood there like pyrotechnic cannons went off. She smiled and waved, turned around and walked back. And got paid $150,000. Dreams just there. It will happen for us one day. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, I was like, God, I was like, oh my God, could you imagine? Like, and, and she looks so beautiful though. And this was what I wasn't expecting. Like when you see these people, I suppose, in like on social media and everything, you have a an idea of discretion and you're like, you know, Amanda or Dita or these icons, you know, they're probably a little bit more rough around the edges, but yeah. no, they are perfect in real life. You see them and you're like, like Dita looked, there was nothing out of place. She looks insanely beautiful. Mm. It's unfair. Yeah, <laughs> that is so unfair. A hundred percent. I'm like, okay, I, I see why I'd pay you $150,000 to just to yeah. walk around my house if I had it. Oh, the dreams, the dreams. Uh, mm. um, aside from the MP, favourite venue? Oh, I would say Universal on Oxford Street. It's my other little home in Sydney. Um, it used to be the Midnight Shift, which was, you know, such a culturally important venue for a lot of people in Sydney. It was such a place that was steeped in Sydney queer history. And so when the midnight shift had to shut down, um, which was really like unfortunate, I remember it happening. Uh, I was like, I was there at the final night and everyone was like crying. And it, I don't know, it was just, it was a big moment of grief because it was kind of like, it was, 
it was like seeing the gentrification of Oxford Street, which I never got to experience in its heyday, but have talked to a lot of people about and know the history of. It was like seeing that gentrification happen in real time. Yeah. And it was a space that was being a safe space that was being taken away from us without us being able to really do anything about it. So when Universal Group bought the space, they brought it back as Universal and they hired a lot of the same people that were working before at the midnight shift. They brought back great management. They brought back, um, I think they brought, they didn't necessarily bring back the spirit of the shift, but they brought back, they brought back what kind of needed to be there right now. And I, I, I believe that, that Universal has become this really great community space and they have slay, slay, uh, slay for stay, slay, slay for pay and slay to stay there on a Wednesday. Yeah. And they've continued to do that in lockdown. And, you know, uh, so many people really rely on that every week for socializing and to get in touch with their friends and, um, to, I don't know, to explore their drag. And I, I think spaces like that are so important to have, um, Spaces that aren't super commercialized and it's not like people are going to walk in there and feel like, I don't know, their drag is instantly has to be amazingly perfect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that about Slay. Um, Cause that's kind of like the event that I have here in Newcastle blush. Um, trying to give mm-hmm. people that platform where they can just get up and perform and trial new things and grow as a performer. And I think that's really important um, as a, performer that you get that time to grow yeah and also universal gave me a huge opportunity they said you know they they looked at me who when they when they first like booked me to start doing saturday nights i wasn't i don't think i was as confident or as you know nuanced in my drag as i am now and they saw my potential and they said to me, we'd love you to take on Saturday nights and make it your own. And you can have full creative control over it and do whatever you want. And to be, yeah, to be hearing that on a street like Oxford street as like, I don't know, 21 year old event, like producer, like newbie was really like, it was really special. And I was like, I can book the performers that I want. I can, put on the kind of night that I'd want to see and I can, I suppose, give off the energy that I would want to feel when I come into a venue. And not many venues on Oxford Street are doing that, you know, especially not for young new performers. So I did really appreciate Universal's, um, I suppose, their effort to include different kinds of performers. I mean, it's still the only venue on Oxford Street you can go to and see AFAB performers like on the same pay and same billing as, you know, cis gay performers. Still the only venue in Oxford Street where a lot of trans people can perform without feeling uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a great place. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... I feel like that's the only place I really go to when I'm on Oxford Street, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I can get down to Sydney, that is. Um, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> long train ride, long train ride. Yeah. Um, have you ever regretted an event? Yes. <laughs> I have regretted one event. And I hate, 
And I hate it because it could have been such an amazing event, but I produced a show called Atomic Bombshells maybe three years ago now. And it was a cabaret show about, it was a cabaret show in two parts. The first act was a bunch of performers performing really nice, like burlesque cabaret. And then just before interval, the atomic bomb dropped and destroyed civilization. And the second act was the same performers, but performing post-apocalyptic burlesque and cabaret acts. Very, very simple concept. It was just like, I took really good performers and I was like, give me a traditional cabaret burlesque. And then afterwards, give me like a fucked up, like apocalyptic mutated cabaret. Yeah. I didn't think anything could go wrong, except I did it at the Bondi Pavilion because they had this grant that they were offering or this program for emerging theatre makers. It was the worst, just the experience of dealing with them. And they know this because I told them, but the experience of dealing with the Bondi Pavilion team was just so clunky, especially for me. And it meant that we... It's just something to do with the ticketing and we didn't sell tickets like we wanted to, but then things were looking up and then like the storm of like the year hit Sydney over the three days that we were on and, and the government was like, do not leave your homes. There is flash flooding, like parts of Bondi, like had flash flooding. Like one of my performers, like had a bunch of like horrible, like shit happened to her. Like, Everything went wrong and we had like 23 people in the 250 person theatre on the first night. I know. <laughs> and we did it anyway. We went out there and, and we sold more tickets. We sold about 60, 70 tickets for the first night. So that wouldn't have been too bad. But most people just didn't come because it was storming. So I mean, oh. I was, it was horrible. And it was the only show I've ever done. And, and it, it was a profit share. And we all agreed, all of the performers, it would be a profit share. And I didn't take any money from the show. Um, I lost a lot of money on the show, actually. That's another reason why I regret it. But it was the only money where I haven't, the only show where I haven't been able to fairly pay performers. And that still haunts me. Like, I still am like, if I had done this right and I'd stuck, and, you know, stuck with my gut and done it somewhere like the Imperial or, you know, an inner West venue or the Red Rattler, we would have had an audience and people would have come and it would have been more accessible. But stupid me was like, we'll do it out in Bondi. We'll bring the queer art to the bougie streets who don't care. And I learned a very important lesson that <laughs> know your audience and know what you're like doing. And yeah, yeah. but I regret, I, it's the only show that I ever probably would have said. I, w- I won't, I wouldn't have done that if I could go back in time. Oh, we all have one of those. Oh. Um, but is there an event close to your heart that you do again that you love? And like, Oh yeah, absolutely. There's an event that we I've started doing at the Imperial, which is like a love child of mine, which is called club two zero four three. And it's like, it's 2043 is the postcode of Erskineville and it's like a dumb little nod to like studio 54 and like uh, uh. disco 2000. And it's literally the, it's a grimy pop up performance, like club kid party 
where like halfway through we have a look parade and there's like a runway down the middle of the room and everyone gets up in their looks and the audience screams and cheers and then we give prizes and performances aren't announced. People walk onto stage, the lights go on, they perform and then they stay on stage and they go-go for half an hour. We have go-go performers all around the space. I, I always create like photo installations where people can get their photo taken. Like last time I bought like 300 disco balls and everyone was like posing in the disco balls and something like that for me is a real passion project because I get to see like these incredible queer artists and, and, and drag artists and musicians and blah, 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 just have like a free form sense of expression. They get this amazing space and an amazing audience who is really loving and caring and they can just kind of go wild. Like, yeah. yeah. I think I, and, it, and it's really nice for me because it's kind of the only event I can perform at and not be like, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like, 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 please book me for your next event. Like the last time I arrived at like 2 a.m. after I'd finished at Universal and I wasn't scheduled to do a spot, but I was like, I'm just going to do one anyway. And I covered my entire face in glitter and smeared off all my makeup and put on this giant like tinsel hat and did your disco needs you by Kylie Minogue. And I just, I poured water all over myself and like threw my body around. And I don't know, I just feel like there needs to be more events where people feel like they don't have to be on RuPaul's Drag Race and they don't have to be like, I don't know, just like I have my perfect stacked, you know, like wig and I have my nails and I have my like pleaser clears and I'm doing like, um, uh, lovely Dua Lipa lip sync. I mean, good on you. Live your life. But I also want spaces where queer people can be messy and arty and freaks and it's not like looked down on. Yeah. Because everyone needs to, you know, get that energy, you know, out of them sometimes. And I always sound like such a fucking artist when I say that, but it's just like, I feel like people need to let go more when they're in queer spaces and actually and queer performers need to you know sometimes just get a stick out of their ass and go i can have fun performing i don't have to like like i don't have to be uh, i don't know a pageant girl in you know when i've been doing drag for two years and it's my hobby you know yeah i agree like i reckon one of my best performances is where i took my wig off on stage i took my lashes off and poured paint all over myself. Amazing. Yeah, doing True yeah. Colours, um, Cindy Lauper. and oh, beautiful. The audience was crying and everyone was emotional, but it was just like, I love that performance because I got to take my wig off on stage and pour paint over myself. It was the best. <laughs> and and those, those kind of performance moments are things that like, I don't know, everyone has opinions of drag, whatever, but they're the moments that no one can take away from you and what you enjoy in drag. And I always look back at those moments where I'm like, even if it wasn't a perfect performance, even if it wasn't enjoyable for anyone else, I enjoyed it. And yeah. in a world where, I don't know, everyone strives for this super polished aesthetic, and I get that. Like, I am always, like, trying to polish myself. But um, it's nice just to let go once in a while. Yeah, I agree. I, and people should do it more often. Mm-hmm. I want to come to that event um next time please do yeah or well, I'll, I'll have you next time next time i do it and here you go here's an on-air promise next <laughs> time we throw club 2043 i want you to come and i want you to do your cindy lauper true colors number yes done done doing it S- sorted <laughs> um 
Oh, I feel like you'll have a really good one answer for this one. Top tips for someone attending a drag type event for the very first time. Oh, I have great events for this one because I, I've literally in the past few weeks been putting together like a list of things to make an instructional video, like a 1950s style instructional video of what to do when you come to a drag show. Because I really want to play it at the Imperial in the basement before the drag show started at the start of the night. So people know like what to do, you know, and and it's funny and people are like, it's funny, but they're like, number one, consent is I think the number one rule in queer spaces because it extends so much more uh, like past sexual stuff you know yeah consent whether people are okay for a photo to be taken of them the number of times I've just had a camera shoved in my face and I'm like I don't want this right now consent about whether people want like can talk to you right now a lot of people are very like oh you're so rude you don't want to talk to me it's like I'm about to go on stage I've got a million things going on in my mind I'm about to do like splits and like choreography and I don't want to hurt myself. I need to be like focused. Yeah. So I think consent and just understanding that no one, you're not entitled to anything of anyone else. You know, they're, it's, it's mutual respect. That's important. Um, number two, I think don't get, don't get too drunk. And I say this as someone who has definitely gotten too drunk in the past, but I, I see a lot of people who have come to their first drag show and for some reason, almost disproportionately, they're always drunker than everyone else. It's, they're always like, this is my first drag show and I love it. And it's like all their friends who have been to drag shows before are like, we've been before. And it's like, I, I get it. I come out, have a good time. But it's also kind of like, I don't know, it kind of separates people that I know are going to go to that one drag show and never again. Yeah. And it's kind of they're like all in, and it's just like no one wants no one wants to see a sloppy person. Um, it's so funny seeing like really tragically drunk people when you're like when I'm really held together, you know, and I'm like corseted and tucked and taped within an inch of my life, and you know I'm standing there looking glamorous, and some like mess of a human crawls towards me and is like yeah so beautiful I'm like thank you so much but also I am so sorry (laughs) like if you could see this exchange right now from your tomorrow like sober perspective you would hate this moment so I'm just gonna be nice to you but I know that because I've been the other person like when I first moved to Sydney and I wasn't doing drag and I I was you know eight fresh 18 going to clubs and I would like walk up to the drag queens I like to be like you're so beautiful <laughs> in there done that that's me too <laughs> and one more tip I would say is um actually actually have a real conversation with the drag performers that you meet um so many people just you know will yes auntie me to death and like that's great live your like laganja astranja fantasy i've met laganja and she doesn't actually do that um you know 24 7 so you know she's a person too and i think drag queens are like they're great fun but remember that if you actually want a drag queen to pay attention to you i probably come face to face with nearly 500 people a night on a night that I'm working and I'm forced to have an interaction with all of them. And if you don't treat me like a human, 
I'm probably not going to treat you like a human either. It doesn't mean I'm going to be unkind to you, but I'm going to have like the same interaction I've had with every other person that night. Whereas if you're, you're like, I really love those earrings. Where did you get them? Or your makeup is super beautiful tonight. What do you use as like your eyeshadow? Yeah. I've actually got like something to go, Oh great. We can have a human conversation. And it's just better for everyone. Just treat people like people and they'll treat you like a person back. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's like, I don't know. It's like, I'm not, I'm not like a human doll. Like the woman grabbing me by my face. I've like, people are always like, I don't know. They're just like that waist, that hair, those shoes. I'm like, yes, look, I can say the same about you. You know, it's like, it's like, do you not know how to use adjectives? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, it is funny how, pe- and I get it. Like, I don't know. What we do is amazing to a lot of people. They're like, wow, this level of, and when people say like, I, I could never, I could never look that good. I could never look that beautiful. And it's like, you'd be surprised. And it kind of does make me sad sometimes. Cause I'm like, you're in a point in your life where you think that you couldn't do what I'm doing. And you probably couldn't do all of it, but you could do you could do your version of it you know yeah it comes like we're all different um Mm. yeah i think everyone should try doing drag at least once in their life i i agree i 100 percent agree and i think i think everyone should try doing their own drag and i think everyone should be put in really, really good drag at least once. Because it's fun to do your own drag. And I've had a lot of friends that are just like, yeah, I'll do drag. And they go out and they look like a fucking dog. And that's great. And they have fun. But I also have seen like when myself or my friend Cherry or like uh, other really like, you know, skilled drag queens put someone else in drag and they look at themselves and they go, oh, oh. You know, they make those sounds. They're like, and you're like you're like you're you're you know what you're feeling right now you're feeling the confidence you could have all the time if you wanted to yeah and you're feeling you're feeling that unlocked part of yourself where you feel free to be authentic and i think that good drag i think makes people feel authentic and allows that to be unlocked doesn't matter what it looks like good drag allows that authenticity to come free I know a lot of drag queens who look really, really good who don't let that authenticity come out. And that, I think, is the difference between good drag and bad drag. It's that authenticity. Oh, yeah. 100% agree. 100%. Which is sad a little bit. Mm. Um, Yeah. Um, It's just funny. It's just like I see people, like, spend their entire lives working at a craft and their craft seems so unenjoyable to them. Yeah, and it's kind of like I don't know. You, if I wanted to do that, I would have become an accountant. You know, nothing against accountants. It's just it's just something that I don't enjoy. And it's like if I didn't enjoy drag and I didn't enjoy accounting, what's the difference? Accounting is less painful, like physically. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> Probably earn more money as well. So it's like I'd rather be like I'd rather have a boring. You know, I don't know. I just it blows my mind when I see drag queens that are like. Especially, especially drag queens who do it like for fun, who would just like complain about it all the time, you know? Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And I hate the Olympics of um, how long you've been in drag. That one. 
where people are just like back and forth, like, well, I've been in drag for 9,000 hours. And it's like, oh. hey, it's like, get out of drag. <laughs> they're like, they're like hooked at like a day party somewhere being like, I've been in drag since Tuesday morning. And I'm like, well, let me tell you, that wasn't the best idea. <laughs> like, you know, I, it's just funny when people are like, I am being forced to do drag um, and they don't do it for a job. And it's like, just have fun. <laughs> Don't, yeah. don't force yourself to um be uncomfortable. Yeah. Or at least wear costumes that you can be comfy yeah. <laughs> for a long time. Oh, oh, I see every year, every single year at Mardi Gras Fair Day, I I'm there and I'm working or I'm doing something and I see a queen who I, I you can spot them a mile away and they're wearing like latex or pvc something or they're wearing like a big coat or like they, i don't you know they've got like a full like velvet cat suit on with high platform heels and i look at them and i'm like first time at fair day huh good luck <laughs> uh, and just, you know it's just like goodness in hot like weather wearing like latex oh outside all day i know (laughs) yum (laughs) yum um drag drag queen soup oh i would i feel so uncomfortable right now i'm just in a jumper (laughs) yeah um what advice would you give someone attending an event that felt uncomfortable with something said or done on stage this is a good one. I think not enough people, when they do feel uncomfortable in spaces, feel like they have the agency or safety to say so. Um, and as, as an event producer and promoter, it is incredibly important to me that people feel safe and that they feel like they can say something. And I've been told a lot of times at my events, hey, I don't feel safe about this person, or someone will message me and say, hey, that performer that's meant to be performing, I actually don't like how they make me feel and I don't feel comfortable coming. And I don't see this as a negative thing. I see it as the fact that I create spaces that people feel safe enough in to tell me these things. So if people weren't telling me those things, I'd be a lot more concerned. Um, So I I think for the people that are, you know, are at these events and may feel unsafe, I think I think knowing who throws the party is a really good like first step. And if you don't feel comfortable talking to them, maybe feel comfortable talking to one of your friends who might know them um, or another performer that you trust or have a relationship with. And I think it's totally okay for you to say, I don't want to be involved or I don't want to make this a big deal. I'm just letting you know. Because there's been so many times where people say, I don't want you to do anything. Like, I don't want you to like like um, not book a performer or I don't want you to do this. I just want you to know. And then it comes down to me to navigate that. And because I'm in control of the space, hundred percent, I can do that safely. And I can have a conversation with that performer and say, Hey, I've had, a, I've had some people come forward who say they feel uncomfortable with you being in that space. What's that about? What's your perspective on it? And then based on their reaction, I can gauge what to do. Generally people who, it's been a misunderstanding or they're not super toxic or dangerous people. They'll be like, Oh, that really affects me to hear. Like, uh, can you let me know more about it? Like I'm happy to step back or like, what, like I don't want to be an imposition on the space. 
Whereas people who generally have something that they've done and they know they've done something wrong are very, very defensive. And they go into this huge big, well, it wasn't even that big a thing or I didn't do that or who the fuck told you that or how dare you accuse me of this or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I think just being level-headed and treating it like anything else. Like if, if I suppose this is a good analogy in this period of time where, you know, we're going back to work in venues potentially soon and there's going to be people who enter venues who might, you know, have COVID-19. It's like, if someone was like to you, Hey, I know someone that came to your event the other week who was sick and I just wanted to tell you, so you know, mm. uh, me as an event promoter would have to be like, okay, I have to let people at the party know and I have to treat it with the due process. And that's just a legal responsibility. In the same way, if someone said, oh, someone who was at your party last week made me feel very uncomfortable, I would feel a responsibility as a promoter to deal with that properly. And I think promoters that don't or promoters that push things under the carpet to keep their party seeming like a safe space. I've made a lot of tough calls and I know I've, I've pissed off a lot of people by trusting, trusting people who have come forward. And I will always trust people that come forward because I know from personal experience, it takes a lot of guts to stand up and say something. Mm. And I will, I'm happy to l- lose relationships with performers, but it's not, it's not like it's an instant. Yeah. It's not like it's an instant cutoff. It's always the reaction that causes that, you know? It's always like you'll like to someone very kindly, hey, I've received these things. These people have said this people and blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, oh my gosh, well, you are just the devil and blah, blah, blah. And they blow off and then they block you on everything. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm not, because I'm not booking you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You've dug yourself the grave now. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I probably have a more succinct answer, but I think, I think I just sometimes feel, I feel sad that people feel uncomfortable to come forward in spaces. Cause I've heard it firsthand again and again and again, people being like, I don't know how to like speak up about this. And I'm like, the fact that you feel unsafe to speak about it is the sad thing to me. The yeah. fact that parties are making you feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. I must say like when I, when I'm hosting one of my shows, I always get up and I'm like, if you feel unsafe or anything and you don't feel like you can go to a security guard, like you know where I am, I'm, I'm always side stage. So come and like, just pretend mm. you're having a chat to me and I can change how we're doing stuff or try and get you out of that unsafe spot that you feel like you're in. So 100%. Um, and a lot of the time, actually, the bar staff are really great. Um, you know, tool, especially in like a queer venue, all of our bar staff at the Imperial are trained to like, um, look, like look out for people that are uncomfortable in the crowd and uh, know who to talk to if anyone comes forward and says they're uncomfortable. And especially in queer venues, the bar staff are usually really great, like people to talk to while you're getting a drink, you know, discreetly if you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. That's really good. Um, I probably should start doing that with my venues here because they would have no idea what they're looking for. Yeah. We, we have a, I think it's, I think it's ask Angela, ask for Angela um, at the Imperial. So if you're on a date that's going badly or there's, you know, something that's making you feel really uncomfortable, you can go to the bartender and say, Hey, um, I just want to know if Angela's working tonight. 
Um, I, I think that's it. I don't want to confirm that because I might have gotten that wrong, but there's some system of words that we use um, and then, um, you know, the bartender will talk to a manager and, and get that person to a safe space. Yeah. I know a lot of bars in the US have that as well. They have like, if you order certain drinks, um, the bartenders know that something is going on with you, yeah. which is important, you know? Very, very, very important, I believe. Um, before we get into our fun questions, I've got one last serious one for you. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for performers that feel like they've hit a wall, not quite amateur, not quite full-time, feeling stuck in the middle? How best to move forward from there? Take a huge, huge fucking risk. Like any kind of risk. For me, my huge risk was, and this is the moment that, I noticed myself becoming a lot better at what I did is I made the mental, I, I just made the mental decision to quit my day job and go full-time in drag. I said, I'm going to quit my job at Napoleon Purdy's. I'm going to make, make it work. And I was so poor. I ate like boiled rice for like months. I was like getting like, going to friends. I was going on dates off Tinder and Grindr to like get free dinners. You know, I was like a lost cause, but I had made that commitment that I was going to do this. And I don't recommend this for everyone. That was an insane risk, but I think put yourself out of your comfort zone far enough to make you change the way you're approaching the problem when I went to America for my first drag con last year, I was so unprepared to go and do drag in the environment that I was going to be doing drag in. And I'd gotten gigs that I was like, not like looking back on it now, I, not that I scammed them, but I was just kind of like, I think because I was overseas and they didn't really know who I was. I was like, I'm not ready to do these gigs. Like I performed like, after Gigi Good and before Jasmine Masters at a club, like in the same lineup, lineup. I know. And I was like, I don't know. It was just look, looking back on it. I'm like, I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what I was doing. And I probably shouldn't have had those gigs from a logical standpoint, you know, but I stepped up and I did what I needed to do. And I taught myself that I was capable of doing that. And I think sometimes you've just got to go, all right, I shouldn't be here right now. I don't have the expertise. I don't have the knowledge, but I'm going to work really fucking hard to make sure I'm at the level I need to be. And that's going to get me through, you know? Yeah. Set yourself a challenge. Yeah, I guess. And that's when the wording you use, take a risk. I think I use that all the time when someone that wants to start drag, I'm just like, just do it. Like, it's how you start any anything that you want to do just do it and then if you love it you love it and i literally took a risk i went full-time drag just before covid that was like when i left my day job um and covid hit and then i was like great this is really fun <laughs> uh, but the skills that you've learned through this and the and the ability to be resilient and deal with this are going to put you in such great stead for coming out of this and like you're going to emerge into the like I don't know the real world performing with such a more in-depth like understanding of so many more things because you've had to put in that work to stay afloat 
you know? Yeah. And like, that's, you, you don't learn those things unless you're like going through it. Yeah. Um, I agree. And, but from here, take a risk and do it. <laughs> take a risk. This is probably like my new favorite question. Last meal on death row. Okay. I had such a think about this <laughs> because <laughs> I was like, I love food. Like I love eating. Same. Oh my God. It is like my greatest pleasure to just eat. Um, I mean, I'm my like ethnic background is I'm French, Italian, Lebanese, Chinese and yeah. Irish, but we ignore the Irish because like, <laughs> um, but that is like, all of those cultures are like food related. I just remember my yeah. earliest memories are just like eating, yeah. <laughs> like just eating and eating. So surprisingly, I would choose for my last meal, all this beautiful like cultural food I have on offer and I would choose a chicken parmigiana. And just because I believe, I solely believe that a well done chicken parmigiana is the greatest like comfort food known to like humankind. What size would you get? Oh, okay. Now this is this. Okay. So <laughs> this is where it gets, this is my, my insight into this problem. When I went to New York, I was like, I know chicken Parmigiana. How better can chicken Parmigiana get in New York? They serve chicken Parmigiana on top of spaghetti. So they, there's like spaghetti bolognese and then the chicken parmigiana sits on top of that and then it's grilled on top of the spaghetti so all the cheese melts. So I'm telling you, I was like, I'm dupe. It is the greatest discovery of my life. And now every time I make chicken parmigiana, I make it on spaghetti. Oh my God, that is amazing. My mouth it's, is watering. <laughs> it's so good. Can you, like, can you just imagine like a, a crispy, crunchy, like chicken parmesan, like the one you get from a pub, but on top of like beautifully cooked, like, like rich tomato-y like spaghetti. Honestly, try it. Next time you, next time you make chicken parmigiana, make a spaghetti to put underneath it. Your mind will be blown. The combination of textures is incredible like i think i want to go to the shop straight after this and grab all the ingredients to make it i'm telling you it would change your life and my friends who were in um new york with me were their vego and they serve eggplant parmigiana on top of spaghetti too so where is this what is this restaurant called everywhere in new york i went to like four different places and looked at the menu and all of the parmigianas were served on spaghetti it's like a diner thing there See, because I've been to New York like six or seven times and I don't think I've ever seen that. I I went oh. to this, it's honestly, I, we went to um, one of the really big diners on Times Square. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what, Juniors, we went to Juniors and I was like, surely at Juniors, they're just going to serve like a normal chicken parmigiana. No, nope, on spaghetti. <sighs> Maybe because I'm just so like, oh, I can get that at home, I never look at, I just see Parmesan, I don't see what it's served with. Now, yeah. every time I go to the US, I'm just gonna be like, mm, I'm getting that. 
Yeah, and, and the biggest thing for me when I was ordering it is they were like, oh, would you like soup or salad? And I was like, soup or salad? And they're like, yeah, would you like a soup or a salad? And I thought they meant as a side, but it's like a whole nother dish. I yeah. was shook. <laughs> I was shook by that. I, I mean, I can eat, but like the portions that they gave me, they were like, would you like a salad? It's about this big and it's like a salad salad with dressing and croutons plus a big chicken parmesan on top of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> the US is so good with their food, I tell you. Oh. So, so good. So, yeah, chicken parmesan on spaghetti. If anyone, anyone hasn't had it, they're missing out. You're missing out. Yeah, I'm definitely cooking that for dinner tonight. Um, all right. What smells make you happy? Ooh. So, I have this weird thing. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it is synthesia, synthesia where people like think and they can like they associate certain senses with other things. Yeah. But I people say things to me like certain words and certain like places, and I can literally smell it. Like if people are like people are like, I don't know. Brown. Brown has like a smell to me. Yeah. Like brown, brown smells like, I don't know, like soft, soft, like sand and like, um, like that kind of salty, like soft sand smell that you get at the beach. Yeah. I, I like associate like smells, smells with words. So I have a lot of opinions about smells, but definitely the smell of caves, which sounds so weird. But I spent my childhood like a geology nut. Like I was obsessed with rocks. I like had a rock collection. I went yeah. to all the rock fairs. And I used to go like spelunking and caving. And so the smell of like limestone caves is so good. Wow, I was not expecting that. <laughs> you're like, you're like, mm, like hairspray, like nail polish. I'm like the smell of underground rocks. <laughs> It's true. Have you been? Have you been in a cave? Um, many, many, many years ago. Um, but because I come, <laughs> I'm from out west, yeah. and the Wellington caves are out there, like yeah. an hour from my parents' house. So I feel like I'm going to go out there in a couple of weeks. I'm just going to be like, "Mum, we're going to the caves. <laughs> so I can smell it." And you just smell the like the limestone and the nitrogen being released from the limestone. And it's like it almost smells like what it smells like after it's or just before it's going to rain, but better. That's a good smell. Good smell. <sighs> I was expecting like something really like perfumey or something, but <sighs> no, I'm such a. I, I'm actually, and people are very surprised by this, but I'm a very like earthy, grounded person um, yeah. underneath all of it. And I just love like, <laughs> it's me. Like I love hearty things. I love like chicken parmesan. <laughs> I like carbs on carbs and like the smell of rocks. <laughs> so glamorous. All right, let's, we'll shake it up again. Money or fame? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say fame I'm gonna say fame because like money is money and whatever but like is this I, it depends because if I was if I was like famous for the rest of my life no I'd choose having money for the rest of my life but if someone was like to me you can have a million dollars or be famous for the next year I would be famous for the next year I agree with you with those just because yeah just 
just the access or like the access that being famous gives you and the experiences that I've seen linked to that are crazy. I just want to live in it for a bit and then and fuck off. Yeah. So I suppose long-term money. But like if someone if someone offered me like blah blah blah, I was I'd be like, mm, I'd take the fame for now. Yeah. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't care if I was poor afterwards. I'd just I'd just I'd I'd love the um the momentary like head rush of it all. But Yeah, I agree. I didn't think of that question in two parts like that. <laughs> so I agree with you hundred percent there. I could not be famous yeah. for the rest of my life. Oh no. I, I would want to be famous enough that I earned enough money not to be famous, if that makes sense. It does. You know how, yeah. like, some, some celebrities are, like, super rich now and you never hear about them? Like, Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Where's she? She's, like, super famous, but she's so rich, she's just, like, paid all the paparazzi to leave her the fuck alone. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be so nice? Oh. Yeah. Oh, if, you, if someone narrated your life, who would you want to be the narrator? Um, I think <laughs> two people, um, either Jennifer Coolidge, like, uh, like, oh, etc. You went, you went to drag today. That's so exciting. You look like the 4th of July. <laughs> I love Jennifer Coolidge. Or it would be like, it would be Tony Collette in Muriel's wedding as Muriel. Your answers for these are so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I really have a lot of opinions. But, but Tony Collette as Muriel from Muriel's Wedding, when, like when she's like, yeah, like all the fucked up shit that happened to me when I lived there. <laughs> like just that like energy of her being like, just, uh, <laughs> just the chaotic like small town Australian girl being like, being like um, what? Et cetera, went there. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's good. There's also a voice. There's a voice that me and my friends do. Um, my friend, um, Chloe London and I do it a lot. And it's like this weird, like this made up voice of like an older drag queen, but also middle-aged woman that we do when we're like trying to be funny. I'll give you a bit of the voice. Okay. Um, uh, so it's, it's like, it's, it's slower than a normal voice. It's a bit deeper, and you just got to imagine you're sitting there at a bar, smoky bar, and there's a woman sitting there smoking a cigarette, and she says, love, love, what are you doing over there with that big, big parmesan and spaghetti? You're going to get bowel cancer eating that. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so that's our voice that we do. So I wouldn't mind that voice. <laughs> like... It's a good voice. <laughs> that is so good. You need to yeah. film something with that voice the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that stupid character. I, we don't even know where it came from. We just started doing it. Oh, one of those weird, like, 4am after a gig kind of things. Absolutely, yeah. Um, have you ever shared a toothbrush? Yes. Mm. Um, I, I've shared one when I was at drama camp in like high school, I definitely shared toothbrushes then. And now I live with my partner and sometimes oh, we've shared toothbrushes, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Or I've just accidentally used, used theirs. Um, and of course we've all shared toothbrushes for cleaning our wig lace. Um, um, and if you don't clean your wig lace, 
clean it. <laughs> yeah, if you don't clean your wig lace, you've got dirty wig lace. <laughs> uh, I found a lot of time now to clean my wig lace. Um, <laughs> I haven't done it. I haven't done it yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm probably going to do it next week now that everything is starting. And people are like, come and do drag in real like life where you can't like, I don't know, blur your wig. And I'm like, okay, I'll have to clean them all. Yeah. That was, that's been the best thing. Like sometimes, um, cause zoom has this effect where you can change it to make you look better. Um, oh, what does yeah. it? Yeah. So it's like this option when in the can, it's like, you can select a button. It's like, um, make your appearance better. I forget what it says, but it's like some appearance thing. I think it just puts a filter over you a little bit. And I always have that on when I'm doing shows. <laughs> I can't believe that. That's great. Do you mean do you mean to say that I put on under eye concealer today for nothing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My life ruined. <laughs> I know. Next time you're on Zoom chat, you can find that setting wherever it is. Um, I can't wait. What word is a lot of fun to say? Like what's the funnest word that you love saying? Oh, um, I love perpendicular. Oh wow. <laughs> Like perpendicular. It just sounds, it's like perpendicular. I love, I love words that like, um, I don't know, they sound like someone, um, someone strange would only say them in like normal conversation. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, actually a really, it's, I'm not sure if it's actually a word, but it's more like a sound and I say it a lot. Do you know Polly Petrie in Sydney? Who, she hosts Polly's Follies every Sunday at Stonewall. She's an iconic older Sydney queen and used to be um, a dancer in Lay Girls. But she says, as part of her show, and just in life all the time, she says, Ahoya! Like, Ahoya. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so That's... I love saying Ahoya. I love That's a word. It. Yeah, so I, that's just like part of my daily routine. I would like walk downstairs, have breakfast, see my partner and be like, ahoy ya. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like really fun to like speak, like speak words that an 18th century like n- noble woman would have said, but like in a really like camp voice. Yeah. <laughs> like, ahoy ya. <laughs> Th- thou is good. <laughs> thou is pleasant today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's good. Um, what was the best thing that happened to you today? Oh, I made some really good avocado and feta toast for breakfast. And it was just at like the right ratio of avocado to bread where it wasn't like there's too much avocado so it's sloppy or too much bread so it's dry. It was just so good. And I ate it sitting in the sun and just like answered my emails and I was like, this is living life as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice. What about Mine... you? What was the nicest thing that happened to you today? I got a massage. Ooh. Nice. So my lower back's been killing me all like the last couple of weeks and I was like, I need to get someone in to like rub my legs down because um, obviously we're in heels a lot of the time. So, mm. and I don't stretch properly, which is really bad. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so my legs get really sore. So I got a massage today, which was really nice. And I was a little bit hungover from drinking way too much wine last night. Um, so it was nice. Do you um, know I've never had a massage? Never. And I think it just never had a massage ever. 
Like, uh, sure, like, a friend has been like, ooh, touch your shoulders, but I've never, like, lied down while someone's gone to town on my back. See, because one of my best friends, she hates them and makes her skin crawl that someone's touching her. Um, so she will never, ever get one, but I'm just like, yes. Oh, they're so good. I feel like I just, I, I don't have any opinion about them. It's just like a, it's just like something I've never gotten a, around to doing. Yeah. Oh, I think you should get one. I'll do it. I'll do it for the first time in drag and like, dude, do like, et cetera, get a massage for the first time. <laughs> That'll be amazing. I'll come and film. I'm like, I'm going to come and right. film that. Yeah. You're like, if I get a free massage out of it, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, back to your avocado on setter on toast. Mm. Have you ever drizzled honey over it? Okay. No, but I, I'm a hardcore balsamic vinegar person. Okay. I have like balsamic vinegar on everything, but honey. Oh my goodness. You need Is to it try good? it. Just okay, drizzle some honey on it. Oh, it will change your life. Okay. I actually, I'm, because I, I like have really heavily caramelized balsamic vinegar. So it is quite sweet. Yeah. So maybe it's probably like very similar, but I'll try honey. I'll try honey yeah. next time. Do you like that sweet and soury, like savory? Are you that kind of person? Yeah. I'm a very like oh. savory person. You'll love it. Oh. Okay. Perfect. Tomorrow, if you got honey, just drizzle it off. Sold. I'm ready. I'll give you an update. I'll give you a review. Amazing. Well, that is the end of all my questions. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh my God. It was absolutely a pleasure. That was, it was so easy. I thought you were going to like ask me about like my tax returns and like <laughs> my traumatic childhood, but not, none of that. So No, no. Um, is there any last words that you want to leave people with before we say goodbye? Um, I do actually, I, so, and this is going to be, I'm going to keep it as brief as poss possible, but um, I just think it's important for all of us right now to realise that there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot of things happening and a lot of people live on intersections, which are very like, very important to acknowledge that what you find hard in your life, other people find harder because they've got layers and layers and layers of oppression and systematic you know, bigotry and racism and transphobia built on top of them. So I just think, I think it's more important now than ever just to open your ears to stories that aren't your own. Um, and if anyone ever wants to talk about trans identity or non-binary identity or has like questions about it or, um, you know, personal things they want to talk about, I... I would love, like, always love to offer myself as a safe space for people to do that. And I'm not going to call you stupid. I'm not going to, like, judge you. And if you want to, like, message me anonymously and say it's for a friend, you can do that as well. Like, I just, I'm, I'm always happy to talk. And I'm always happy for people to use me as, like, a bouncing board for that kind of stuff. Um, so anyone that's listening, I just want... I kind of just want people to talk a bit more and not be like stuck in their own bubble and stuck in their own like world of knowledge. That's what I, I like. I'm trying to say that more at the moment, just to like step outside of your comfort zone again and just try talking to people with different experience from you. It will like change your life. Yeah. I am. Um, I want to say this on record as well. I think it'd be really cool if, cause I do a Q and a 
podcast once a month. And I think it'd be really mm-hmm. cool to have you and Chloe come on as my people that we... Oh, my God. We'd love to do that. Um, yeah. And then people can send in questions and we can answer them. So people... I think it's always about breaking down barriers and making feel people feel like they can ask questions, but we do it on a podcast so people can just be anonymous. So yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'd love to do that. hundred percent. I always love answering questions, especially when you're asking them. Yay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you for listening to Yas Queen. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and tell your friends and family. If you have any questions about anything and everything, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Yas Queen Podcast and send them through. Once a month, we'll compile all the questions and have them answered by queers and allies from around the country. Until next time, my name is Timberlina, top shelf talent. Pour yourself double. Peace out. Love you all.